Hi guys, Jason here. I want to tell you about Wink.com. W-I-N-C. It's a great way to discover new wine if you don't know a bunch about wine. Basically, all you do is go to their website, fill out a survey based on your flavors, what you're into, what you're not into, and they ship personalized selections right to your door. They start at just $13 a bottle. You get to come home to a box that's been customized just for you, and then you can start chugging ASAP. There's no membership fees. You can cancel any time if you want to skip a month because you're out of town or because you don't have money. No problem. Shipping is covered. If you don't like the bottle, they'll replace it with one you love today. Even if you use wink.com slash the stew, you get $20 off your first shipment. Try wink.com, T-R-Y-W-I-N-C.com slash the stew and you get to uh you get to support us over here at the pod and we can keep delivering you great episodes to your door every week enjoy the show i said what you know about it it's the stew baby got the knees in plus young stew baby and the room a lot Hello, hello. You're listening to The Stew. I'm Jason Stewart. Andre Conaparo, say hello. Hey, Jason. We have, uh, we have one guest today from the wine world, John Bonet. Yeah. What's up, buddy? Welcome. It's a fine afternoon. Welcome. It's a fine afternoon here in, uh, in, in Los Angeles. You're, you're staying over in Koreatown. Yep. Uh, I'm sure you're a bit of a food lover as well. So Brooklyn, you're Brooklyn resident, though. Brooklyn resident. Brooklyn resident. Brooklyn resident. Sometimes Paris. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. He's a wine guy. Sometimes he's Paris. a wine. I mean, he's a wine guy. So yeah. it's sometimes Paris. Yeah. yeah. Better. There we go. That's good. That's good. Sometimes Paris. Sometimes Paris. God, that is such a good answer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I live in Brooklyn. Mm, takes a beat. Sometimes Paris. Yeah. Suck on that for us. Yeah, yeah. What? Uh, how, 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 how many months out of the year are we uh, in Paris, you, you say? I'm, I mean... Can you remember how much time I, you spend in Paris? I can, more or less. Have you tried <laughs> the wine there? It's fucking good. <laughs> French are onto something right here. Um, so the next book is, is the new French wine, which means for the past three years or so, let's say three out of eight weeks per year is usually in France. Um, Incredible. Which was partially related to, but not entirely. Uh, honestly, we... we we, my wife and I just bought, finally bought a place in Paris, which sounds super romantic, yes. but literally has to come down to the fact that it's maybe a third of the cost of what it would be in Brooklyn. Right. I, I've actually heard that, that getting an apartment in Paris is not that expensive yeah, at all. exactly. So, And I've also heard that it is expensive in New York. Is that true? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rumor has it. Yeah. How someone, did, someone told me that once. How so did the, the French wine travels start? Youth? Like, later in life, as you got into wine, did it just snowball? I mean, tell me how you get to owning an apartment in Paris. Well, the French wine travel started, yeah, when I was a kid, and okay. my father took us over there. Oh, wow. Uh, but, I mean, the, the intensive wine travels have been because of this, this next book. Because uh, the last, the, the new Californian wines... Was the first one, yeah. That was the first one. And how so long ago was that? That was the end of 2013. Okay. And, uh, and then started really the work on the new French wine uh, end of 2014. Wow. And so it's been a long haul. There's, there's a lot of France to see. Like, you know, like I said, uh-huh. I, hear, I hear they make some wine there. Uh, <laughs> it's, are you fluent in French? Yeah, now I am certainly after lots of, lots of long conversations about esoterica. <laughs> oh, just more and more impressive. Yeah, man. Yeah, when you look at a map of France and you overlay it with a wine map of France, it's almost like it gets smaller. Like the cities get smaller. There's more cities in France once you do like a wine overlay. Yeah. Like somehow like areas exist in between cities that wouldn't be on a normal geographical map. Just because of wine. Yeah, just because of wine. It's incredible. Here it's because of cults. It's because of cults. a lot of Netflix Or gangs. Lately. Gangs, That's sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all and the, the Breaking Bad. Yeah, all the good stuff. <laughs> and the and the current book that is is out right now. Yeah, the new wine rules. I have it in my hand right now. It's a it's a it's a nice medium size book, a pocket companion almost, where it it will it will clearly and concisely tell you uh, everything you need to know about wine. I would say. 
Uh, most of the useful stuff, I hope. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was the goal. A lot of the bullshit removed. It's all just kind of distilled down to just everything you need, nothing you don't. I, the, I like it. I mean, and you could read it in a day. Yeah, yeah, probably a fraction thereof. <laughs> um, I mean, the you know, the, there's there's a few things in there that are that are pretty basic knowledge. You know, wine serving temperatures. But in general, I think the rule of thumb was if you could Google it, we didn't want to put it in. Oh, mm. interesting. Yeah. That's smart. Because yeah. then, why would people buy the book? Well, and you know the internet is full of free and mostly useless information. So, <laughs> uh, so you know I don't. But also free and useful information sometimes. Yeah, and, and so you know I, I don't know that anyone needs me telling them what Sauvignon Blanc is. I, there's mm-hmm. sure, sure. Yeah, I mean I, I think as we move more into the digital world and away from the uh, the written page, that's a rule of thumb that will have to be followed more often. I assume just things that you things that you can't Google is has a value now. Exactly. And so it was, yeah, it was, it was sort of saying, you know, can I, do a, can I do a brain dub of the things I think about wine, the way that I see the world of wine, and make it somewhat comprehensible uh, and, and give, give other people the same tools that I use to survive and figure out what to drink and mm-hmm. do, do all the sort of pragmatic, non-fancy stuff that, that comes with wine. But when you also write something that isn't a thousand-page tome... That's the next one. When you, but when you, can, <laughs> when you can pack something with a lot of information My small, yeah. I mean, I appreciate that because it makes it easy to revisit. You know, it's easy. Even if you're saying you can finish in a day, that doesn't mean that that's, that's where that ends. Going For back sure. to that information, going back to, especially when it's very, very specific knowledge um, that, nece- that, causes, that needs retention, it's really nice to have something that is so concise and able to be revisited simply, casually. So, so one of the things we, we actually argued about quite a lot, and I won and mostly feel good <laughs> about that, uh, was whether to put an index in the book, which we didn't. Right? Right. So you, you, know, you can read it sequentially, but you can also just random access it and flip open to a page, and there's nothing you particularly need that, ha- that requires going through it one way or the other. And and that was at mm. least partially intentional. So part textbook, part toilet book. Uh, there, it would not be a bad book in a bathroom. Love it. So there's gonna be a lot thanks of dog. For, thanks ears. for making toilet book sound <laughs> a lot cooler. Not a bad book for a bathroom. This is, yeah. This is this is those writer skills. But you do <laughs> have you do have a table of contents though. We and, do. We needed to split it up at least a little bit just to make things somewhat findable. And you know. Conceptually, we could have done without that, but uh, but I think especially if people want to know how to you know where do I find like pairings information, where do I find how to buy it, it's at least gives a, a departure point. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that this book, um, if you've never read a wine book before, is this something you want to get, or is this something that maybe this is your second wine book? It's definitely intended to be a first one. Okay, good. And and it was meant to, you know, to be able to come into it with like zero knowledge. And uh, you know, aside from there's this stuff called wine, I think I want to drink it. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe maybe I should Yummy. maybe I should uh, maybe I should read something. Uh but it is it's it's fascinating. I I mean, we intended it for that and uh and yet luckily for me, I guess, there's a lot of wine professionals who seem to even if they know everything in it, they seem to enjoy the way that it's been organized, the way that the book tries to to talk about the wine world, and mm-hmm. and they like the advice in it, and so that it's good. Mm-hmm. It's I, I I honestly figured that you know some people who sell wine or sommeliers or whatever would get uh, a little upset because it you know it, it's definitely written from a consumer's point of view. Sure, uh, but 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 actually they seem really happy, and I I, I think. It is conceivable we actually managed to find a middle path. Yeah, that's good because yeah, you're kind of you're you're not giving them all the answers to the quiz, but it's a little bit of a cliff note. And then the sommelier now is not dealing with a room full of dum dums every night. Somebody that actually knows a couple things. Yeah, and also it's I mean one of the things with with wine and restaurants specifically I wanted to poke a hole in is 
all you know this this endless back back to my thing about the internet and useless information this endless series of theoretical uh shortcuts on how to like find the cheapest wine the best wine on the list it's like look there's no shortcut the short you know right. the shortcut is like ask the person who chose the wine what what what's good uh, because you know, if you've read that, whatever it is, the cheapest one on the list, the second, cheapest the second, one on it's the list, always like it's always some, the second, yeah, yeah like, there's some bullshit anecdote of it's the second cheapest. Yeah, like you know, you know, you yeah. understand that 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 like sommeliers read also, <laughs> right? And they might have heard that once or twice. Yeah. So, uh, so if you think you're getting away with something, uh, you're not. <laughs> it's not a garment shop in the 30s, yeah. is what you're trying to say. Uh, Buying me wine. again? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so. Uh, well, how much how much of your writing had to kind of take more of a little bit of a confident tone because you're showing the, the entry level user like there's a little bit of like hey trust me take it from me this is what you should be doing kind of thing did you have to edit yourself to be a little more a little stern with that no I, you know it's it's weird it was surprisingly do you, do you already have brass balls is what I'm saying <laughs> That's the sure. That's my, the, my, that's my, la- my last job. Or did your editor say yeah. you need to shine them up a bit more? No, there was you know after uh, you know after whatever nine years plus uh, nine years ish at the at the San Francisco Chronicle, my you know they were mm-hmm. uh, they were solid brass, uh, <laughs> maybe solid steel by that point, uh, and so uh, and so no, the, it's interesting. The writing of, of of it was easy once I sort of once I sat down and like edited through what I wanted to include and started writing just the rules themselves. Uh, it, it was honestly kind of a relief. It was like exhaling because it was all this stuff that I had in my head that I didn't really have opportunity to talk about because I was also always supposed to talk about big fancy wine things. And so it was just like talking real for a moment. And that was surprisingly to me, that was a huge relief to say, you know, look, this is cut all the bullshit out. This is, this is how I actually think about it. This is how wine people actually think about it. And we're not going to, we're, we're just, we're, we're going to drop all the pretense and, and just go forward. And that was really, really, um, it was refreshing to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, it probably cuts a lot of things that might get in the way of what you want to write. As opposed to what you feel like you should, you get to write what you want. Yeah, and it's, you know, and I, I was, I, I suppose this is a, a flaw of some sort, but I was fully confident in thinking that I was completely right. So, <laughs> no, that's the book you want to buy. Yeah, so, so I was, I so was like, I don't, small yeah, book. I don't need to call, <laughs> I don't need to call, you know, six different people and get their opinion on right. what the markup for a wine should be. Like I've done this long enough. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, this is what, this is what I think. And if you don't like it, well, you know, throw the book away. <laughs> um, I, well, speaking of, uh, of, of years of wine knowledge, sometimes, like Andre and I are both very into food, and we and we've enjoyed wine, but we wouldn't really consider ourselves to be wine experts at all, mm-hmm. especially compared to our food knowledge. I mean, I just always buy the second cheapest bottle. In the way. <laughs> That's, you got you it. Know. You got it now. I got yeah. it. I've been hearing about orange wine, so I'm probably going to try that. I got it. Um, it's made from orange. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's not the first time you threw that one out. <laughs> yeah. But but sometimes I feel like uh because like the the place I'm at with wine right now it's like I like this wine, don't like that one. This one good, want more of it. This one bad, want less of it. And I wonder if like I haven't kind of like subconsciously I've I've halted my expansion because I'm in this ignorance is bliss kind of purgatory with the wine world. And uh, and I don't because I I'm always yearning for more information about food, but with wine I'm just kind of like I'm good because I don't I'm, I'm afraid of getting in. Maybe I don't know if you're in this place, but other wine scholars could be in a place where are, are you even able to enjoy it anymore? I totally enjoy wine. I'm sure you can, but like and, I'm and, a, and, when, and when I and when I'm done, like when I'm at the wall, I just I drink beer or mezcal. <laughs> I'm just like you know. Mm-hmm. I, there, you have nights you're just like I can't I can't mm-hmm. think about it I don't want to there's not a bottle I want to open I need yeah I mean it could be uh, I my my profession is a DJ and the, and the way I look at music now it's so much different than the average person it's sort of like I'm looking at it as a product and like what do I like about it what don't I like about it and I am I even listening to it like I was listening to when we were 13 playing Nirvana or something like that and I, I'm afraid that I'm going to get into that zone with wine but it's still but 
it's still out of a love of music. It's interesting, music and and specifically um, is wine like the music specifically of vinyl and specifically high fidelity are like my perfect analogy for wine and mm-hmm. the way that, that wine people become mm. assholes. Yeah, um, high fidelity. The movie, not oh, the movie, well, or, or, or the book, or, or, the book. <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or just the phrase yeah, high fidelity exactly. as to describe something having uh, high fidelity. Yeah, but it's uh, there. You know, there is there is this this fine line where a love of something becomes you know becomes pretension and mm-hmm. becomes uh, does that happen in wine <laughs> shocking <laughs> shocking i know uh, but but you know it becomes a wall that 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 you put up uh against people who you feel no less it's you know than yeah. you do it's uh I mean, I mean that like in high fidelity that was championship final that was this mm-hmm. yeah. this record store that was like theoretically all dudes who'd love music but they spent all their time chasing everyone away for their own strange insecurities that you know mm-hmm. were never quite fully explored but um, <laughs> but I was and then, so that's like, yeah that's like that's like literally that's literally the mentality of you know of still I think a, a great number of wine people the way you were describing your relationship to wine like Ultimately, that's everybody's relationship to wine. You're, mm. you're going to be interested in it to the point that you're interested in it. Mm-hmm. And mm. when you start pushing yourself to know more, you'd either better be doing it for professional reasons or because you feel there's some net gain. But, uh, and I talk about it in the intro, you know, there's this, this, this fixation right now in America with wine expertise. And look, I, you know, I can only say this because I am, you know, I'm a wine expert, and I'm a wine expert who got that way by by no particular path aside from continuing to drink a lot and being mm-hmm. curious enough about what what I was drinking that I just kept sort of absorbing information until I finally <laughs> found something to do with it. Mm-hmm. But but you know, most most people somehow manage to drink wine and go go on with their lives without feeling that they need to get a, a certificate or take a class or do any of mm-hmm. these things. And it's interesting when you see when you see a lot of media coverage of wine right now, like in the past few years, it's all about sort of, you know, achieving expertise. And that's interesting. It's a you know, it, it can be a good story of sort of, you know, this is my personal journey to be the superstar sommelier, whatever. But that's just that's not how 99.9% of people are ever going to drink wine right. and they're going to they're going to drink it exactly the way, the way you describe you know you find a thing you're interested in if you're curious and you don't get chased away and you don't have the dudes at championship vinyl telling you you're a fucking moron <laughs> right um, you're you're going to probably keep exploring and you'll find some new things and it'll come at the rate that is comfortable to you and that's frankly the way that anyone should learn about anything they again they have no professional responsibility mm-hmm. to to learn about uh, but somehow there's still this notion that wine is a thing that has to be studied, and I don't, right. I don't get it. I, I like, I legitimately don't get it because I'm like, you know, does does anybody sit around and study food? I mean, if they're going to be a chef, they do. Right, but yeah. people don't say, you know, I really need to go and research the history of um, kohlrabi of kohlrabi so I can <laughs> uh, go and uh, go out to dinner on Thursday night. <laughs> Uh, you know, so you, so I'll really be able to experience the spiral spiral cut kohlrabi Caesar that I'll be having later on. Yeah, you know, and I can't possibly live without without this information. <laughs> uh, so it's you know, I, I'm I am generally I am I am pro information and I am pro intellectualism, but I mm-hmm. also I want to see people enjoy it. Um, out of curiosity and not people use it as a weapon. And I think in wine, there's still a lot of weaponizing of knowledge. There's, Which is a shame. Yeah. And, and there's such a fun thing. Such an incredible amount to unpack in what you just said, too. Just, to, just starting alone is the, econo- the economy that wine exists in and the barrier that it presents. Even much more exaggerated than food. So if you really want to enjoy like some of the best dishes in LA, you can get in there at twenty, thirty dollars. Yeah. You know, like that's some of our favorite things in some of the nicer restaurants in LA can be had for that much. But if you really want an example of some incredible wines, you're lucky if it starts at thirty dollars or twenty five dollars or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that, that's retail, not even in a restaurant. Obviously yeah. in a restaurant you're Two and a half times tripling that. You know, you're starting at 60, 70 for something, a bottle in a restaurant that you actually want to discuss, as opposed to just kind of enjoy quickly and, sure. you know, something more dynamic, something, you know, that has, has a conversation worth having. Then moving into also just how 
you use weaponized, but also how exclusive something born out of an economy like that instantly becomes. That 1% that you described attracts its own, and it involves privilege, it involves money, it involves exclusion, um, and somehow that also gets picked up and perpetuated by our fascination with celebrity or with that that is famous or however we define that. I mean, it's like we're still looking at the lives of the rich and famous with a different name still 30 years later. And those stories written about wine, that's what is on the front page of things I don't like to read. Yes and no. <laughs> I, I, think, I think that historically there had – well, historically most wine wasn't that expensive. And right. Even, even the great wines weren't. And then – Absolutely. The, the, you know, Just then, like oysters. Yeah. Um, well, and then that very top tier started to be collectible, started to be fetishized, and became this, this, these, these sort of play toys for the rich. And I mean, look, I, you know, when I when I was starting to buy Burgundy somewhat seriously, which was let's say fifteen, seventeen years ago, it was still pretty affordable. And now I literally couldn't buy any of those wines because right. they've tripled probably in sure. price. And so, uh, or so, even some of the California wines that were started in the sixties in a reaction yeah. to even. And Europe has incredibly amazing cheap wines, but uh, the California wines are finding that environment that facilitates that kind of winemaking also in a reaction to that, how expensive it was elsewhere in the world, has now become that same exclusionary wine. Well, so California is a perfect example of, of actually where I was, was, was going to go with this, which is uh, there was an, an era, kind of starting late 80s, early 90s, when the notion was that California could produce great wine and that those wines should benchmark both in quality but also in price against top wines from Europe. And so you saw all of these cult cabs coming out of Napa that started at $125 and then $200 and then $400 and now $700, $800, which is ridiculous. The Opuses? I mean, Opus is a bargain right. by comparison. You know, you, you look at like the current pricing for Harlan and Screaming Eagle, and these aren't even wines that are, are cutting edge anymore. They're sort of established in a little old guard. Uh, but you know they just there's they live in this this fantasy world of pricing. Yeah. But uh, when it came to the the New California um, and you know and writing writing the New California wine the book, uh, it was interesting that the the current generation of producers uh, are also making extremely high quality wines. They are just as much in demand. They have just as big a following, if not a bigger one, because. Uh, because they are a fraction of the price. And, and I think California has some issues with pricing having to do with labor cost and a lot of other things, but, but you can get sort of most of the, the top tier of the best modern kind of new California wine today for still under $100. Right. And a lot of it, you know, you can find it's gotten hard to get it under 25 and that's, that's where it's Right there, there's there's work to be done, of course. But you you look at wines like say um, the wines of Arnott Roberts, uh, uh, who were my winemakers of the year at the Chronicle. I don't know 2014 or so, and those are made in extremely small quantities, less than a lot of the cult cabernets. But you know their cabernets are the most expensive, and they get up toward a hundred dollars. But a lot of their stuff is like you know thirty, thirty two, thirty five, and maybe some of the Syrah has gone up to forty, forty five now. But th- this is this is a magnitude of difference in terms. Of really like the most in demand wines in the world versus where California was, and I think that you see globally that yeah, Burgundy is really expensive now, but that's not what the new generation of drinkers is drinking. They're drinking Beaujolais. They're drinking right. uh, you know stuff from uh, from Ribera Sacra in Spain, and they're drinking not necessarily Barolo, but they're drinking all the other wines of Piedmont because there's a notion that 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 quality and greatness don't necessarily um, have to exist only in this very rarefied air. Right. And, or aged, yeah. right? You're talking about a lot of young wines that drink yeah. very quickly. Uh, and a lot of the collectible wines or the famously most expensive wines are for people that are trying to sell her for 20, 30 years. Sure. And they need to keep. Right. Or, or God forbid, you know, to, to, to use as an investment, which is an right. awful thing. Yeah. Uh, but... Yeah, I mean, look, these are, you know, we now have, we, it's like the $6 million man, we have the technology. Uh, you know, we, <laughs> Stronger, we, faster, yeah, better. Exactly. Yeah, we, we have the ability now, really, maybe for the first time in, in wine history, in, I don't know, let's say the last 20 years, uh, to generally make clean, solid, 
interesting wine any, in any wine region on earth. And frankly, to, we, have the, we have the farming knowledge now that under ripeness, which was historically meaning for you know a couple thousand years, was always a problem with wine, that you were struggling to actually reach an alcohol level that, you, uh, that was acceptable to make table wine, which is why the French invented chapitalization, which is literally putting sugar into the grape juice right. uh, to bring your alcohol level up. And so, you know, this, it's not that none of this happens anymore, but, you know, for, in places like Champagne, in places like Burgundy, really for the first time ever, they're, they're not worried every year about getting ripeness. Mm-hmm. And so the, the reasons that people aged wine have in some ways gone away because mm-hmm. some, one of the reasons originally you aged wine was that it was kind of undrinkable young. Mm-hmm. And it okay. was just hard and acidic and tannic and it wasn't really very pleasant. So you aged it to kind of get it to a point that you could enjoy it. So I think that mm. evolved into, well, you know, I'm going to just create my, I mean, it's this very sort of like old British man view of the world. I'm going to create my cellar and I'm going to go drink right. some claret after 15 years. And I mean, there is a pleasure in that, but there's also a pleasure in drinking good, well-made artisan wine young now. And I think that's increasingly what you see the young, the young wine consumer doing. Yeah. Uh, and that's what, like, we're, we're talking about natural wine a little bit. Like, in a way, that is a, that is a fundamental piece of where kind of natural wine bars and natural wine programs go is that these are, these are wines, maybe too quickly, um, but these are wines that are produced and sort of put right out for people to enjoy and drink and go back for more. Sure. It's hard, too. Wine, to me, is something that is so constantly in the moment, um, at, at least for my very simple understanding and my very simple kind of relationship to wine, um, in that from a food cooking standpoint, seasonally, I know it's always going to be in season. And you'll hear what's better this year or what's exciting or this. But year to year, there's so much noise in wine and there's so much heavy marketing in wine that it can be a constant struggle. It seems like you need to stay on top of it pretty much moment by moment to understand or find out what's affordable, what's good, what's exciting that's out there, because it, it can also change year to year too. Um, and the kind of the, the staples that you hold on to, basically you end up seeing the cost increase over and over and over. And there's no for a lack of a better example or analogy, there's no farmer's market for wine or that I know or understand as the base level of going to a farmer's market for organic produce as you can see it. You basically see it in its rawest form, its cheapest form, and then you take it home. And comparing alcohol and fermenting and all those things to just cooking is not, is not a clear line. But it, that's probably where my relationship and some of my frustration in wine comes to is that it really, you need to follow someone like you who's writing something, you know, in, a, in yeah. a daily or a weekly or something like that. Um, but you just need, you need to make that effort because a lot of, a lot of the wine you consume changes constantly. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. There's, there's, there's this, this frequent comparison, this, 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 I think a little bit trite phrase that gets used that wine is food. And I, I understand that and I understand where it came from. And at some point we were for punch, we were trying to figure out how to kind of poke at this a little bit. And I I wanted to talk about wine and seasonality and how this thing of, you know, you have to drink certain wines in certain seasons is, is kind of bizarre and completely wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I said, you know, wine isn't food, it's food adjacent. Right. Uh, which is to say, it's, it, it is a fermented product. It is literally preservation. And so you don't think about only having you know, certain pickles in certain seasons. Right. Uh, you, you understand that it is fundamentally, to your point about farmers' markets and produce, it is fundamentally taking a snapshot of a fresh piece of produce and capturing it and saving it. And mm-hmm. so when you put up jam, you put up pickles, whatever, it is, in fact, kind of keeping them for the moment that you want them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think wine... Wine, ultimately, that's essentially all it is. It was taking an agricultural product and finding a way to fix it and preserve it. And um, what I like about where it's gone is from being this, like I said, this sort of old British man view of the world to being much closer, and I mean it in a good way, to craft beer. Right. Which also 
fermented, not, you know, not exactly a fresh product, but certainly is intended to be a little bit freestyle where you, yeah. you may or may not get the same, same beer produced again and again. Obviously wine has different issues. It's, it, it's vintage dependent. You get one harvest a year, but, uh, but when you think about the way that brewers now feel liberated to experiment, they don't feel they have to make the exact same thing every time. And when they find a thing that they really like or that's really successful, they'll keep doing it. But they don't necessarily feel compelled to do it. I think winemakers aren't quite that liberated, but I think a lot right. of them now feel that they can tinker. And especially in somewhere like California, they can buy different grapes. They can make different wines in different years and keep evolving uh, and trying new things. And so uh, I, I think the, 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 the nice part of that, that instability is that you, you, you know, you may or may not get the chance to try that wine again, but if you don't, there's, so many new things right. that are out there that are coming and uh, and to the point of sort of, you know, having a good wine shop, having a curator who can help you, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's great to be able to find things over and over again if you really like them. Uh, but I think the fact that it's not this static inventory of stuff sure. makes it makes it much easier to explore because you're just like, all right, well, you know, I kind of liked that last time, so is there a thing like that? I think it's by far the beauty and the romanticism of wine. I think my frustration comes from um, wanting to put, wine just to fucking be lazy and put less effort into, you know, like it just takes a lot of effort to stay on top of it to me. And that's like, you know, when I hear... When we're out with people or, you know, that we're always kind of around wine and spirits and things. And, like, when someone says, like, oh, I'm getting, like, a heavy nose of pencil shavings, that's, like, it's, I start to turn out a little bit where I'm, like, you're not wrong, but it, I'm also triggered a little. Like, I'm sure <laughs> that's, that's when, what you're getting. That's and, when the dinner right. conversation goes off the rails. Uh, yeah, no, no, it's <laughs> totally fine. But it's, like, I find some of those, some of those moments, like, it can be but, – but every – Everything from food to music to movies have that part of or that person that describes things in certain ways. Sure. But I definitely hear it sometimes in wine because um, it can be even more subjective to me sometimes in food. I think people, I think it gives people a sense of confidence to throw throw those things out there because sure. they sound like the smart one in the room. And it's there's a fair amount in the book about language and and kind of not not overusing language when yeah. it comes to wine. Uh, exactly things like that, which is, you know, if you're a wine critic, if you're, if you're a sommelier, if you, you know, if you, you're a professional, even then there's only certain contexts in which that doesn't sound completely douchey. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, uh, and so certainly like if you're not, if you're just like, if you're a civilian and just enjoying yeah. life to sit around and say, yeah, I get pencil shave. And it's like, <laughs> it's like the Paul Giamatti scene in Sideways, yeah. which was overdone but you know but made its point of you know sort of strawberry and a you know hint of nutty Edam cheese and just like <laughs> yeah um it's like you know this this is why people hate wine people yeah uh and and yet i think uh and it comes to to when people talk to to retailers and when when they call, talk to servers uh they feel that they need to sound way smarter yeah. about wine than they are and i i don't get it i'm like this is this is literally a commercial transaction Right. You are here to sell me a thing, so I'm going to do my best to like kind of explain what I like, but you know, but this isn't on me. This is on you. Do your job. Yeah. And and yet people want to. I don't know. I don't know if it's ego. I don't know if it's just if it if it's like like it is that championship final thing. If you come in and you're just like, yeah, you know, the Stereo Lab imports were okay, but like the Japanese ones were better. <laughs> but really, on you know, right. I don't know that they were. It's like yeah. you don't know what the you're talking about so it's like they i think it becomes it becomes a shield it becomes a defense mechanism and sure. it's really like when you are a when you actually are an expert it becomes sort of intolerable to listen to right uh and i say you know i say frequently you know i mean i kind of shop at the same stores pretty often because i know where i like to shop and um but well, you know who you like to buy. Like, like yeah. what, I mean, that's what you mean, I'm sure. But it's also like, you know who you like to buy from. I know who I like to buy when from. When you love yeah. something that much and care about it and know that much about it and write about it, you also want to buy something from someone that you like. Yeah. And that you're excited about maybe a conversation about this. Or It's not just the product, it's the experience. It is, but it's also, it's, it's, it's them kind of 
curating and then sure. you know me being able to sort of pick through stuff. Uh, but what's interesting is when I go to stores that I you know where they don't know me. Uh, and, you know, and I haven't been in before, or whatever it is. You're stunned on them a little bit, aren't you? Um, it's it's Just tomahawk dunk on their heads. Well, it's it's well, that would be yeah, that, that would be the easy thing to do. Sure. Uh, and there are moments that I have definitely done that. The low hanging fruit yeah. of the experience. Um, but 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 you're but, better than that. Well, but what's more interesting is is how <laughs> they'll approach me and just start wine splaining me. Right. And I'm like, and I I don't want to be like. Let me stop you there. Yeah. <laughs> here's, here's my card. Yeah. You know, just just here are the last six things that you got wrong in yeah, five exactly. minutes. Um, but it's it was seventy two, not yeah. seventy eight. <laughs> it was actually Stephen's brother who started, who found that <laughs> yeah. old vine. Um, yeah, uh, but but it's it is it is interesting because it happens to me all the time. It happens to my wife even more because you know women in wine stores are like. You know, are are fish in a barrel. Well, it's like I mean, are 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 prone to this, you know, even more because it's just like, well, of course she doesn't know. And you know, my wife sells many millions of dollars of wine a year and knows probably more than I do. So you know, she's she's an even, and she's <laughs> also probably nicer. So right. um, she'll deal with it better. But it's like you know, it's I mean, she can walk into a store and people will just start in like it's like you know, do you understand that like forty percent of the things on your shelves are things that are are there literally because of her, you right? Know? But no. <laughs> Please, please talk down to her some more. Right, <laughs> it's it's doing you real well. Um, so I, you know, it, it's I I understand where people want to sort of want to use language defensively because they, to sort of like establish their cred. But I just it's I mean the nice part is I think that that's starting to diminish. Uh, sure, uh, but you still see it all the time, and it's I mean no no one wants to listen to that. Right, I don't want to listen to it, uh, and it just it's. Um, it's the part of wine that I think still keeps a lot of people away from wine. And, uh, and you know, you, someone hears that who's legitimately curious, and they're like, well, I can't do that, so I'm just I'm going to tap out now. Yeah. I, I mean, I, <clears throat> I love when someone's, their first question when they start to hear me, like, stumble on what I'm trying to describe is, like, they're like, let's walk it back. What are you, you going to have this with? What are you eating with this with? And it's like, great. Like, that's... Like, if I don't know better, that's the number one conversation I want to have. Because yeah. I can talk about the food I'm having. Mm-hmm. You know, I can and, tell you how bright, acidic, how sweet, how, you know, I can tell you a lot of the different things that are also the same characteristics that are complemented by wine. And, um, and, and that's it, which is, you, you just nailed it, which is, those are the terms that are the useful terms to talk about in terms of wine and in food, obviously. Right. But say, like, this is the food I'm having, so yeah, I want a wine that's, like, going to have a good savory component. You know, we're doing some, some shellfish, so I want something that's a little saline, that's, like, you know, that, that's going to have a mineral side, that's got good acidity. Like, that versus all of these other ridiculous terms that uh, that people use, I think, those are useful, and I think even if you don't know wine that well, but you do know food at least somewhat well, it's easy enough to think about it very much the way you think about food. Yeah, yeah. You were uh, one of the notes in your book said um, that acidity might be the most important characteristic of a wine, um, which I see a lot of people talking about parallel in the food world. Like acidity is a, a thing that has been talked about a lot in the last couple of years as being a component that has been overlooked. What do you, uh, so, so you, <laughs> so, so you, it, it might be the most important. It might be. I mean, you know, this, this will be an endless debate, mm-hmm. but, uh, but the, the reason that I put that in is that, um, you know, that unlike say beer, wine is very much used as a palate cleanser. Right. And so when you get these low acid wines, they don't, they functionally don't do that, and um, they're coating, not cutting. Exactly, oh. and and that's why you know <laughs> sure, that there was a generation of drinkers that that loved uh, that loved that aspect, but uh, you could see that they were either either they had enormous like they had an enormous sweet tooth. Or right. Sure. They, you know. So they just served port at the start, the middle, and yeah, the end exactly. of every meal. Uh, you know, or or port like wine. Right. And yeah, and and uh, and it just it wasn't it wasn't serving its traditional need or its traditional purpose. Mm. Uh, and um, and so it's 
it's interesting now because we're, we're getting back to both food and wine that have much better levels of acidity. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but you know, even, even if you go and you look, I mean, this isn't just wine. Beer is always a little different. But if you think about why people drink Coke, uh, you know, they obviously for the sugar, but the amount of acid in, in Coke is extraordinary. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and one of the reasons that people keep drinking it is because it does cleanse their palate. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, like many of my mechanics use it to strip parts with. Absolutely. You drop, some, you drop like a, you know, like a, a manifold into a bunch of Coke and mm-hmm. clean. Or the same reason why when I eat a greasy burger, a piece of pizza, I suddenly crave Coca-Cola specifically more yeah. than anything. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about... Um, Champagne being, you know, maybe the best, the best pairing for pizza. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, well, so traditionally, you know, before you started drinking wine, like, what did any of us drink with pizza? We drank Coke, right? And then we drank beer, yeah. And so you clearly <laughs> want bubbles, and you drank Coke in part because, yeah, it's, there's there's cheese, there's sausage, there's grease, and um, and there's the acidity of tomato sauce usually, and so mm-hmm. the Coke. Coke is this sort of perfect Coke completes balance. the symphony. Yeah, and so it's it's one of those things where uh, you know where that aspect of wine gets overlooked because everyone wants to talk about you know the origins, the you know the flavors, and here's the fruit salad that I'm that I'm getting or the pencil lead or right. all of this other stuff, and it's like you're you're sort of missing the one intrinsic uh, <laughs> aspect that is making this pleasant to drink. Um, and especially with your dinner, which is that it is, you know, it is an extremely acidic beverage. It's sort right. of between three and four pH. Uh, and so, you know, so got nothing that, on my, I'll, my, uh, Essentia. Yeah. <laughs> 9.5, baby. Yeah, wow. <laughs> God damn it. How, um, how important do you think it is nowadays to become a, a licensed sommelier I think now, now that we're in the world of people saying like you don't need to go to culinary school anymore, it's kind of a dying art. It's a waste of money. Is the same thing transferring over into the wine world with the SOM program? I think I think that if someone needs structure, it can be useful. Mm-hmm. But I also see that a lot of the most successful and most interesting sommeliers and wine directors never followed that path. Uh, I, uh, and I think that that path has become perhaps a little bit overly, uh, overly professionalized and overly, um, uh, what's the word I want? Um, money kind of, grab? Well, it's kind of clinical. Because it's, it's not... It is clinical. And, I mean, there, and there is a money aspect to it, which, which is difficult, where I'm like, you know... It's like why Cordon Bleu has been closed and, yeah. and is now being sued in a class action lawsuit. It's yeah. like, if you... If you subscribe to something beautiful, artistic, whether it's, again, film, sommelier, cooking, someone will take your money and give you a piece of paper that says you're great. Absolutely. And it has nothing to do with any of the merits of the education. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, if, 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 if it gives someone who actually wants to become a f- professional, if it gives them a sense of structure and it makes them happier... Which then, is how I learned. That's yeah. something that appeals to me for yeah, sure. Then, then have at it. But I also... Uh, what I do start to resent is the this drumbeat that it's the only way into the profession. Yeah. Because I know a lot of people who just, you know, started as servers. Um, you know, or again, you know, Val, my wife, like, you know, who's now, you know, sort of doing, you know, importing an awful lot of wine and doing, you know, big impressive things. She literally got Moving her start. Moving weight. Yeah. Um, got her start. She's a kingpin. Yeah, she is. A queen pin. A queen pin. Yeah, uh, she. Um, you know, she she got her start in the business as a server at Houston's, mm-hmm. and, and weirdly, still says to this day that that was perhaps, a tight ship. Yeah, the most important, the most important thing that she did because the level of service expectation, specifically in their program, which is very, very, very. Precise. We've talked about mm-hmm. the whole everything, all the mm-hmm. aspects of it. Yeah, um, that set her up for everything else she needed to do, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't becoming, you know, it wasn't chasing a, a sommelier pen. It wasn't, it wasn't sort of sitting down and learning all the, you know, the the regions of Italy, whatever it was. Yeah. It was kind of understanding from that end that this, you know. This is what makes people happy when they sit down to eat. This is what you have to do as a service and hospitality professional. To this keep is, your job in this place. Yeah, and this is kind of how the, the world of food and wine works. And the rest of it, 
she sort of figured it out on her own, as did I. I just kind of, you know, just kind of, you know, kept absorbing more information until I suckered my editor into letting me write a wine column. I feel like after this podcast comes out, it's going to be, it's going to be easier to get into CIA than hosting at, at Houston's, I say. It could well be. <laughs> um, you were talking about Sideways earlier. What do you think... Uh, a, a wine movie out there that kind of fills it in or sums it up the best, um, or it could be so sideways as well. Uh, it's definitely not. Sideways. <laughs> uh, I do like Sideways for the record. Yeah, fun movie. A lot uh, of people don't like it. A lot I, of people do like it. Yeah, I love Sideways. Sideways is great. I like side. I, I dislike Sideways for reasons that have nothing to do with wine. Oh, all right, that's fair. <laughs> Go too. on. Yeah. I like that. Go on. Uh, I just you know I and I, I like Alexander Payne's work a lot, but I was just like this is. This is him, you know, batting batting under his average. Um, Interesting, mostly because of some very very big plot holes and a score that drove me crazy. But it's hard um, to beat the election. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it is hard to beat election. Um, but uh, so it's funny. I wrote a column. I think it was last summer uh, for Punch, saying that the best wine movie of all time was Almost Famous. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, this is fantastic. Yeah. Um and 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 part of it is I do love that movie. Um and but I think that what Cameron, The last great thing Cameron Crowe's ever made, probably. Yeah, exactly. Um Pearl Jam it, Doc was okay, yeah. but it's also not, you know, not the same. Um but I think what he was getting at that in the in that movie, and some of it obviously is it was a personal movie for him, but was this this notion of loving a thing when you also have to kind of view it critically and understand that there is this enormous commercial framework around it that is manipulating you. And this was this was all this was the whole thing with Lester Bangs and rock and roll being mm-hmm. dead. And wine in a way is very much sub that, subject to that. And um, so in the column there was sort of this very close reading of the movie and basically saying, so take all that, replace rock with wine and you basically got uh, mm. you've got all the wisdom you need. What an incredible answer to that question. I, I, I mean, I, there might be a tear kind of starting to form in my eye a little bit. Of course, Bonet had a column chambered ready to answer of that course. question. Yeah. <laughs> Just a, it, it, well, a hollow point, locked and loaded. It's, it's, it's a, it's a Cop question. Cop killer, if you will. It's a question that, that wine people ask a lot, and I, you know, like watching that movie every few months and then finally I was just like you know what yeah. I'm going to stop with all my trite analogies that I just think in my head and put this down mm-hmm. on, on digital paper I guess yeah so you also work with uh, the magazine Punch I do and are they more a little more on the cocktail side of things they're 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 uh, great name they're omnivorous <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know th- there is a lot of cocktail cocktails are um there are things that people like to uh, look up on the internet. Uh, yeah, and, sure. <laughs> uh, and they're, you know, they're a somewhat easier gateway than wine. Uh, mm-hmm. But they've, I mean, since the beginning, wine has always been, you know, a, a not insignificant part of it. Uh, and I think, now, I mean, this year we're going to figure out some other, some other ways into wine that are going to be a little less studious and intellectual and more... Um, more about kind of just going out and drinking wine and where can you, you know, where can you drink wine that's really fun and yeah. where can you buy wine that's really fun uh, and just trying to become a little bit more of a resource. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, we, we drink all things. Um, uh, we drink a lot of sherry, mostly cause, because yeah. my editor, Talia Baiocchi, her first book was on sherry. So, you know, there's still... An overlooked spirit, for sure. My dad loves sherry. Yeah. And it's pretty in this, especially in the states. I mean, if you travel to Spain, obviously it's it's pretty prominent anywhere you are. But um, in the states, sherry is a cooking liquid. Yeah, yeah. It's it's come back in a small way. But Imagine uh, writing a whole book about just sherry, huh? Yeah, I want to hang out with a person who wrote a book just about <laughs> sherry. Yeah. So what's the what's the ultimate cocktail for you then? The ultimate ultimate cocktail. Doesn't get made a lot anymore. Ooh. Um, uh, well, a cocktail me, of life. Let me let me <laughs> let me give the easy answer and the hard answer. Um, the 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 cocktail I probably end up drinking a fair amount is either a mezcal margarita, um, or uh, or a boulevardier, mm-hmm. uh, which I you know love Negronis, but I love them more with brown liquor. Mm-hmm. Um, I got the Grand Classico over there. Yeah, big boulevardier um, fan. And uh, it's really good with Grand Classico. Yeah, <laughs> it is really good with Grand Classico. Um, the um, 
not that far away from from Negroni's, uh, my favorite drink of all time, which uh, originated in Seattle uh, at Zigzag, and then I encountered it at um, at Nopa in San Francisco. It's called the Trident, and the mm. Trident is uh, it's the exact same concept as a Negroni, basically, but it is equal parts Aquavit, Chinar, uh, and uh, Manzanilla Sherry. And a couple dashes of peach bitters. Aquavit is not easy to find. Uh, it's getting easier. Yeah, but yeah, it is not. It's 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 that's the that's it's, the it's uh, still, it's that's still the wild emerging. card in that recipe. Exactly. If you can, if it's peach, anything, peach bitters. This is a fucked up drink. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> I it's fantastic, um, and it's weird. And you, you obviously can do it without the peach bitters because you're like, I'm going to go spend twenty dollars on peach bitters for two drops of this. Right, right. Um, but but I make my does, own. Thank yeah. you. Um, but it does it does make a difference. Um, I didn't I didn't want to believe it, but um, yeah, it's it's a and you know it's it's like a it's like it's like the super nerd Negroni. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it. Because you were saying words that I didn't really know. <laughs> I mean, I knew Chinar. I was proud of myself for that. But, you know. Aqua what? Yeah. Aquavit. Aquavit. What does Aquavit taste like? Uh, it's like gin if it were flavored with caraway instead of juniper. <laughs> yeah, to me, like the way I, I didn't know about it until I went to Oslo and I was, and I was leaving. And I was like what, should, like, what should I bring back? What should I drink? Like, what is... Like outside of the things that are kind of ubiquitous around the world, what do you feel? What do you drink on your national day or whatever? And it's like, and there was a resounding like Aquavit. And then you go into that version, the local Bevmo, and there's 70 kinds of Aquavit against the wall. And you're just like, holy shit. <laughs> but it's licorice like if to me, or like the one that I had was, you know, it was kind of like a middle grade. It was like a $40 bottle. And I thought you might have even had some and forgot. I think about I did it, have it. I brought actually. it back. I brought mm-hmm. one back with me. But um, yeah, it's nice. It's really it's it's herbal, strong. Um, feels like in a cocktail or as an after dinner drink, or you know, as they described it, just start the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So go go out on the boat in the morning. And, yeah. You know, a few shots of Aquavit and yeah, open your eyes beer. a little. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Um, I want to talk about your um, your writing routines and, and, and productivity schedule. <laughs> there is none. I'm, so always, I'm, always, I'm always fascinated by that of people who are able to complete tasks like this and, uh, and, and see what they're... You should definitely talk to my editor. The little... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, you're, so get a good editor. Yeah. Um, and then delay until the last possible moment and freak out and scramble to get stuff done. That would that would definitely be. I feel mine. better. Yeah. yeah, I feel like that's. Um, similar. Are you a morning writer? I'm. I'm. Anytime. I'm a. I'm a. God knows when I actually get it done. Writer. Yeah. Um, I try to write in the morning, but I'm never that focused until like the third espresso. And mm. there's always, you know, fires to put out an email, and I get distracted. I, when I was writing New California, I finally realized, and I'm going to try to figure out a way to to formalize this, this process that, that essentially what I would do is I, I had to write a fair amount of it, um, at night after I got home from work and then the rest was on the weekends. Uh, and at night it would sort of like take me a couple hours. I would sort of, you know, mess around, Google lots of stuff to try to, you know, get distracted, watch an episode of 30 rock, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And then finally like 1030 at night, I'd like, it would all galvanize and I'd get like an hour and a half, two hours of solid writing. Um, and then the same thing on the weekends, I'd, I'd sit down at my computer at like 10 in the morning being like, all right, got up early, got a good night's sleep, had some breakfast, got my coffee in me. I'm all the whole day ahead of me. Yeah. And then I'd fuck around for six hours and yeah. do nothing. Um, and <laughs> that shelf looks pretty dusty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to spruce this place up, get the energy moving yeah, first. I could do a load of yeah. laundry. I'm going I'm to go look at some maps again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to be real the clear. the same yeah. region? <laughs> I'm going to take a look. Uh, and so, you know, somewhere around four in the afternoon, I would find it would all like click in. So I think basically my writing, my writing routine is to distract myself for most of the day and then blitz through a bunch of writing. Huh. And I haven't, haven't figured out how to like how to formalize that yet. So it sounds like the the thing that you have done is you're able to hold on to that buck and bronco until it calms down enough to get a couple hours out of them. Yeah, it just it's 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 one of those things where I realize that the way I think is sort of in a cloud. 
um, both of haze, but also like it just like I have lots, I have lots, yeah, I have lots of ideas, and they don't necessarily come together. And so it's like what I what I view is just like me messing around and wasting time is actually some some form of try, my brain trying to link these things up into something linear enough that I can put it down <laughs> on the page. It's your bizarre process. Yeah. So I don't know. This is you know this is. Uh, um, I think this is somewhat inferior to Hemingway's up at six, write for six hours, and then soak yourself in rum the rest of the day. Uh, <laughs> that sounds great too. Yeah, that does sound great. He, at least he was, you know, at least he was had a routine. So. Yeah, yeah. I remember reading what uh, what's his uh, Hunter Thompson's routine, and I feel oh, like yeah, that, I, still, I don't even know if that, that can't be real. I don't think, but that was yeah, that was a piece. I still have that somewhere. There was a writer from the UK that came to stay with Hunter S. Thompson for like 36 hours. And it was like literally an hour by hour play by play of like his routine. And at one of Coke, egg salad sandwich, mescaline, the whole thing. And then at some point, like, and it was all these great colloquialisms too. There was like snow cone and then snow cone was just like, a bucket of crushed ice with just doers poured into it, you know, like, and it was like, and he called that his snow cone and he would have that in the jacuzzi. And it was just like all this shit where it's just like incredible, incredible things too. Like he'd have like creme de mint with like a steak. It was just like this endless <laughs> list of random things. All of that was, for the next yeah, yeah. I'll find it before you leave. It's, it's like, you know, it's 500 words of the most like fascinating yeah, I blow was, by blow. I was talking to Marissa Ross about that, and she was she was saying she would one day she would like to just sit down and try that. Like no nobody has been able to attempt that without just dying. I assume, but oh, I mean that's a that's a lifetime of pre gaming to get ready for that. <laughs> yeah. Like that's like you don't go win a gold medal just by stepping mm-hmm. out that morning. Mm-hmm. You got to put the time in, baby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hangover cures. A man of a man of your drink surely has a couple. I I mercifully don't get hangovers Fuck as you. much as I do. <laughs> yeah. uh, probably because I'm, probably because I'm getting old and I don't. Fuck you. Yeah, but um, when you get older, the hangover happened more. Yeah. Um, you know, I uh, hangover cures um, tacos. Yeah. Um, good one. You know. Too bad like, they don't have any good ones in New York, though. Where do you where do you get tacos at? I I get the crappy ones in our neighborhood. I just, <laughs> I just live with it. Uh, I, I you know I I went on a very short quest and and abandoned it. Um, and uh, you know Bloody Marys can help. I mean the hair of the dog thing is absolutely true. I believe it. Um, I actually think you know it's true. Mezcal is a good drink at any time of day, but mezcal is an especially good drink for hangover cures. Mm-hmm. Like it reboots you a little bit. You know, you get the you get the agave power and energy, and uh, <laughs> and you know, you just get focused enough to try and survive the day. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's you know, sitting out bloody in the sun beer. If you can do it. Bloody beer is always good. Like you know, Micheladas really like spot on. Uh, you know, n- none of the you know n- nothing super out of the ordinary. I, I'm not. I don't totally subscribe to the greasy food thing. I, I get where people want to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, your stomach is going to not thank you for this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you crave just, it, but it won't. It won't do you well. Yeah, exactly. And so you know, and if it's really, really hangover, then you know the Gatorade, absolutely. Yeah. You know, oh. I'm not too proud. Early movie, like when you're dealing yeah. to me, like when you're dealing with. The the hard part is like the first like six hours after waking up if it's really bad, and any way you can find distraction, like whether it's a hair of the dog being one of them because that usually involves an activity, you know whether it's brunch or out or something and you but also going to a movie, mm-hmm. even bringing a beer into that movie, but like <laughs> to get you out of whatever you're feeling for two hours can be enough just to get you started back yeah. to normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I unfortunately seem to. When the hangovers come, they are always on a work day. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I mean, well, work, your work and play tend to bleed together. There is that. Yeah. I'm into that. Well, we, we have one, uh, one part that we talk about on the, the last moment of every episode. But before that, uh, well, actually, I'll tell you what it is so you can uh, start thinking about it. It's the best, best thing that we ate all week. Okay. So it could be you know, just something amazing that you ate recently. Um, but has anybody ever told you you sound like Patton Oswalt when you talk? Definitely not. Because I'm getting it. 
Oh, definitely. All right. <laughs> and that's a huge compliment for yeah. me. Wow. Now I'm yeah, going yeah, to We're both big listen. fans. He's a very articulate yeah. comedian. But, uh-huh. uh, but the whole time, like halfway through the pod, I was like, who does, who does Bonet sound like? It was bugging me. And then, and then, Interesting. And then Oswald, now, now everyone listening is going to be like, oh, yeah, it's I'm, Oswald. Now I've got to go back and listen. I'm like, <laughs> I've got a couple of CDs for you. Or, or, yeah, people at Ace don't use those anymore, but I got. I got the records. Mm-hmm. There's some great ones to listen to. Um, but the best thing that I ate all week, the, uh, one of our favorite taco trucks here in L.A. called Taco Zone, they now sell tortas. Andre and I went there on Thursday and got a torta. But uh, have, you, have you been to Taco Zone? I have not been to Taco Zone. It's in Echo Park. They're famous for their Suadero meat. Yeah, that's the only thing. Um, it's all good. That's, to me, the only thing. That's, the, that's the real really Cadillac getting. order there, but they've never really changed the menu at all, and they recently had the torta, and we got it, and it's A+. plus. Um, what about you, Andre? I don't know. Mm. I didn't prepare for this one because we skipped it a couple. I feel like we skipped it a few weeks. I feel like John I already we knows one. Okay. I'm, still, I'm still working. I'm trying to think where I've been the past week because I've been in like... Seven cities, so... You're on a whirlwind book tour. Yeah. Uh, so it this can is, be from an airport if there was just something that really sticks uh, out at you. No RX bar? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I, Snap I, pea crisps? Yeah. <laughs> Which flavor are you? Yeah. Light uh, salt? Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. Uh, there was some good beef jerky up in Napa, but that wouldn't, <laughs> that wouldn't, that wouldn't qualify. Yeah, Angelo's, which has always been there forever. But, um, and there was a really good dinner at Tartine Manufactory. Mm. Um, Last week, which um, is just, uh, yeah, honestly, the ribs there, that might take it. The aguachile, well, before, like, this afternoon, maybe, but um, uh, it's more, it's like honorable mention. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, we did make really, actually, we made freaking killer tacos at, uh, at my friend Kitty's house uh, in San Francisco. Um, she just, she just what kind of tacos. Was, we talking about? She, she just decided she was going to do like her own, her own version of carnitas, and just you know, just, mm-hmm. just made an entire pork shoulder. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Real nice. Um, that was that was pretty good. It's been it's been a weird couple of weeks because there, there you would think oh you're going everywhere and you know amazing book tour stuff, but uh, it's been it's work. Uh, well, it's 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 not dining out as much as I would, not even would like to, but um, as much as I'd sort of like had the opportunity to. Yeah. Um, and so um, it's weird. Yeah, it's weird to go to city. I mean, I'm finally catching up a little with LA, but like it's weird to go to cities and not just, you know, chase down all the things I want to eat. I realized today I missed Gorilla Tacos by a half hour. Which is, mm, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I feel like as I've gotten older, I'm, I'm kind of the same way. When I'm when I go to whenever I go to New York, I'm just like I don't I don't even know what to go eat at anymore. It's just whatever. That's Maybe how we feel, feel being in New York. So <laughs> Tonight's Tuesday. I can't remember if it's Tuesday or Thursday. The Gorilla Tacos. We should I should probably look it up so we get it right. But they're Silver, Silver Lake, Lake wine once a week. Okay, which is nice. It wouldn't be bad. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, and then as I was saying before, if I can make a mad dash to uh, Baru tonight, I'm gonna. Yes. Going to endeavor to do it. Baru is so good. Any effort you can make. Love Baru. Um, I, so I'm going to just use this platform to dispel a wives' tale that now I completely believe is false. I made some Rancho Gordo pinto beans, and Kenji from Food Lab did this kind of exhaustive test on whether you should or should not salt the water for making beans and forever... For years, it's said that salting the water <clears throat> toughens the texture and keeps beans from cooking. Mm-hmm. And uh, his writing and his point was that it absolutely does not do that. No idea where kind of the origin story of that came from. But what it does do is actually keep the structural integrity of the bean intact. Mm-hmm. So when you, and I've found this to be the case, when you open a can of beans that you buy out of a store, Almost every single bean is intact, and the texture is really firm, the skin's firm, and it, it pops in a great way. But then you can't control the sodium or the quality of the bean, and so there's a mixed bag. But it's always been curious to me that when I make big batches of fresh beans, mean dried, soaked overnight, and then without salt, they lose a lot of their texture by the time that the, the texture is kind of cooked through. Mm-hmm. A lot of them have exploded, 
And by adding salt, you're helping the cellular wall and the beans, I guess, retain some of the moisture inside without keeping it from cooking, which keeps it from exploding through timed well. And this was kind of exactly what I wanted from this batch of beans. So salt ahead, confirmed yeah. works better. Um, and yeah, I ate those some... beans, and they, the structural integrity was fantastic. Very good. Sick. So, and they were good. I, don't, I mean, I didn't eat out much this week, so... Yeah, it is kind of hard to make a bean as good as just a regular old canned bean. Yeah, it's, it can be weird. But when you do it, um, especially with kind of an heirloom dried bean, when it does happen, it's kind of like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's why this is worth it. That bean flavor. Yeah. All right, Bonet. Cool. Thank you so much for doing this. And uh, available in, uh, in stores now, anywhere you can get a book, yeah. The yeah. New Wine Rules. Um, it's great. I mean, I read most of it already. You're going to do something that Lou, that nobody listening to this can go to. Exactly. And you did a talk uh, yesterday at Now Serving. Yeah. Just to plug these places mm-hmm. that yeah. we both love. Now Serving. Lou Wine Shop and Now yeah. Serving. Great is, spot, huh? Yeah. They're both. I mean, they're both amazing. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I. I now Serving is incredible. And you uh, and you talked with Garrett Snyder, who's done this pod before as well. Awesome. Good yeah, old Garrett. Yeah, was awesome. What's your? Uh, if people want to find you online, where do you send them? Uh, punchdrink.com, always good. Um, johnbonet.com, B-O-N-N-E, is a good place to find inane biography, and, uh, but a link to, you know. Is the Instagram popping? Uh, Instagram is always, yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. J-, J. Bonet, and, uh, you know, Twitter, Facebook, all the places. J. Bonet. Uh, I'm at Them Jeans. Andre Conoparo has no social media, but thestewpodcast.com is a website where all the other episodes live. Thanks for doing this, John. Thank you guys so Thanks, much. Thanks, John. Bye.